0: Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla, where it's you who sets the conversation. Join us for the next hour as we take a fresh look at how we think about spirituality. You heard that, it's you who drives the conversation. Welcome, welcome, it's Thursday afternoon. Great to be with you over the airwaves, over the social media realities. So participate, share your views, ask a question, make a comment. It's all about interaction, right? And I know that we're a little bit of a shy community. It's a funny thing about the listenership of High FM. Um, you know, there's, there's the concept of talk radio exists all over in every society. But here yeah, we're quiet, we're shy. So don't be shy today. Share your thoughts, 34519 for SMSs or on Telegram 61 Of course, you can use social media as you very well know how to do. Uh, at High FM, at Rabbi Shish, the High FM Facebook page. You with Rabbi Shish, we're together till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This is Fresh Thinking. This is where we challenge ourselves to ask questions that perhaps we don't ask enough. I didn't realize just how much of a question this was going to be because I had a conversation earlier with somebody and I'm not going to share what he said because it wasn't local. It was information about a different community in another part of the world. But it got me thinking, nonetheless... And um, We're at the time of the year now where for the next few Shabbat's, the Torah portion comes back to the leadership of Moshe, Moses himself. And of course, Moses is held in the highest regard by us as a Jewish world. And by much of the religious world outside of the Jewish world too. So it's interesting as you go through the stories that unfold over the next four or five weeks. There are all these different perspectives on the personality of Moses. And his leadership style and his abilities and his talents. So it got me thinking about Jewish leadership. And there probably are two angles to the story, really. But I'll start with one. And the first one is, you know, you have a look at these stories and you see the expectations that the community had of Moses. The expectations that he was going to not only provide for them, not only keep them safe, not only take them out of Egypt, not only uh, connect them to God to receive the Torah, not only get them to the promised land, But they had an expectation that the entire process from start to finish would be absolutely comfortable. And that there would be, uh, you know, that there would, there would be no bumps along the way. There'd be no issues. That there'd be no, uh, I I don't know, discomfort. And that's what's interesting. See these expectations that they had of Moses. An expectation that he'd feed them the food that they wanted. It's one of the things we're going to speak about in this week's Torah portion. So it wasn't good enough that Moses facilitated the miraculous manna, which was unbelievable food, 100% nutritious, no waste matter, delivered to your door on a daily basis, absolutely fresh. You could imagine anything and it would taste like that, and it wasn't good enough for the people. They still wanted more, and they still complained about things that they remembered from the old days, old days meaning when they were still slaves in Egypt, which in itself is a perverse and strange perspective they wanted more they wanted to be able to have quail they wanted to have meat the expectation that the people have like i say over the next few weeks we're going to read these stories the expectations that they would go into israel on their terms that they would enter the promised land on their terms by the way it'd be a fascinating conversation for another time uh, about the contemporary lessons from that you know deciding that we're going to have the land of Israel on our terms. Very interesting conversation, but not for now. So there's that expectation that they had of Moses. Uh, so my question is, do we as a Jewish people over the course of history, do we generate unfair expectations of our Jewish leadership? Um, as the Jews appeared to do in the desert. It appeared that they did have unfair expectations. They thought that... Uh, you know, you should really be really grateful. Here's the man who took you out of 200 years of slavery. You should really be grateful, not complain about the menu. Uh, (laughs) I guess it's like, I mean, it's not nearly the same, but it's a, a miniature version, how we complain so bitterly about airline food, but don't stop to be grateful for the fact that airlines exist, the ability to get on a plane and travel the world You know, we focus on the food that's not so good. That's the same kind of thing. I just wonder if uh, you look at these stories, the expectations that they had in the story of Korach and his rebellion, which we read about in a few weeks' time. Here was an individual who had status in the community and who had a position of prominence, and it just wasn't good enough. And he had this expectation of both Moshe, of Moses, and of his brother Aaron, that they would, in a sense, roll over and make way for other people to take positions that other people hadn't necessarily earned. And that they really had earned, they'd put in an absolute fortune of effort and time and even sacrifice in order to get the Jews to this point. So you just look at that and you think, I don't, want to say, I don't want to say ungrateful, I'm not saying that the people were ungrateful. And you have to remember, of course, that even though the Torah will describe stories that happened and even attribute numbers sometimes to how many participants there were in the story. It's never a case where everybody was like that, where everybody had the same issue. And so I don't want to get into generalizations over here, you know, where on either side of the coin. Although I suspect that those will be some of the messages that come through. But the, you know, the point really is, you've got these, um, you've got all these different issues that people brought up about their leaders, about Moses, about Aaron. I mean, even the golden calf was an uh, the result of an unfair expectation. If you read the story, effectively, what happened was you had. The expectation that Moses is going to be back from being on top of the mountain and being on top of Sinai after what, I mean, they were told 40 days. So their expectation was that as soon as their calculation reached 40 days, that's it, Moses would be there back at their beck and call. And he'd do everything for them as Moses himself says. He says, I carried you around like a mother carries a newborn baby. I carried you around, you know, and protected you. So there's that expectation that Moses would do all of these amazing things for them. And I just wonder if somehow that's infiltrated into our collective DNA to have an expectation of incredible, impeccable, uh infallible leadership. Because sometimes it does feel that way, right? Sometimes it does feel that that's the, the expectation that people have. So that's what I wanted to just throw around a little bit. There are a number of different layers to this conversation that I believe we can, um, that we can unpack over the course of uh, today's conversation. But let's start right at the beginning. So do we have unrealistic expectations of our Jewish leadership? Well, let's be more specific of our Jewish religious leadership. Otherwise we're going to get into all kinds of conversations about political leadership and communal leadership and this organization, that organization. I don't want to go there. But in terms of our religious leadership. So do we perhaps have unrealistic expectations of our religious leadership, as it would appear happened very often in the desert and in in the sojourn that the Jews had on their way from Egypt to the Promised Land. By the way, I think another layer to this conversation, I'm going to put it out there now, even though I thought I was only going to bring it out later, but I think it's relevant now, is when we look at the great biblical characters, do we have unrealistic expectations of our biblical personalities. So, when you come across a story where Moses strikes the rock, are you disappointed? Did you expect better of him? When Moses throws down the tablets and smashes them, are you disappointed by that? Did you expect better of him? Um, if, I don't know, there's so many different examples. King David with Bathsheba, were you disappointed? Did you have higher expectations? This is King David, for heaven's sake. This is an individual who we look up to with such admiration Person whose prayers we read, his Psalms we read as parts of our prayer every single day. How could this be? King Solomon running after women, Samson who didn't seem to be able to control his own temptation and so on and so forth. So do you think that sometimes perhaps we've elevated people onto a pedestal that is beyond That, you know, they shouldn't necessarily be seen in that particular light. So we can talk about it on both levels. We can talk about it in terms of contemporary religious leadership in the Jewish community. Do we expect too much? And uh, historical leadership. Did we put people onto pedestals that were unrealistic and then get disappointed when it turned out that perhaps they did things a little differently to what we would have liked? So I would really love to hear your opinion. This is the show where you drive the conversation. You also have to think fresh out of the box, 34519, if you're going to send an SMS opinion, you can use the Telegram app, 0618951019. Otherwise, talk to us on social media. On Twitter, it's at Chai FM or at Rabbi Shish. And on Facebook, it's the Chai FM Facebook page. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Here we are talking about leadership, talking about The concept of Jewish leaders, Jewish religious leaders. That's exactly what we're going to focus on today. And my question to you is, do you think that we expect too much of our leaders? Here's Josh on Twitter, who says, uh, quoting from Jin Blossoms. You'll have to excuse my ignorance. I have no idea who that is. (laughs) He says, and if you don't expect too much from me, you might not be let down. It's very interesting because there's a study. study schedule that we follow where we study three chapters of the teachings of Maimonides, the legal teachings of Maimonides. It's it's a 14-volume set of works. And every day we study three chapters during the course of just shy of a year, we get through all 14 chapters. And the section we've just concluded is all about judges, where in order to sit on the courts, the Jewish courts, you must see the expectation, actually, that Judaism has for a judge. The individual has to be respected by the community, should not have any blight on his history, should be somebody who is known to be wise, somebody who is known to appreciate the realities of people, somebody who is worldly, somebody who is familiar with languages, should be personally wealthy so that he's not susceptible to bribery, should actually have physical stature, that when you look at the person, you feel a sense of respect for them. Tell me again, do we have high expectations of our leadership there you have it. I mean, that's really, really interesting. Now, here's somebody who clearly has a bad experience with Jewish religious leadership. So, um, have a look at this. I said, do we expect too much of our Jewish religious leaders? And here's somebody on Twitter, I'm not going to say the name because it's quite a a uh, acerbic, I guess, response. says, no, we don't. Do we have too much respect? Do we expect too much? No, we don't. They should be something, but how many are not? How many have hurt us? When a group is without a leader, a narcissist is apt to take charge. That's a quotation. Apparently from Wikipedia, which means it must be true. But the point is, if you think about that, that's that's clearly uh, talking from experience, right? So, obviously, somebody has an experience where, uh, no, we don't expect too much about leadership. If anything, the leadership is not living up to what leadership should be. Now, that's an interesting question in its own right. And I'll tell you what's incredibly interesting about it is if you go back to Moses in the desert, what you find is that the people turned around and they said, he's not fit to lead. Who says this is the man? (laughs) And and that's why there was a rebellion led by Korach. And that is why there was a rebellion against the food. Because they felt that that Moses was out of touch and he couldn't relate to them. I'm not saying anybody would have claimed him a narcissist. We know that the Mishnah in Pirkei Avis, Ethics of the Fathers, teaches us, If you live in an environment where nobody is a true man, a true leader, then you should step into that vacuum. So rather than for the narcissist to step into the power vacuum, the expectation in Judaism is that the decent human being will be the one who steps into that power vacuum. So that's, that's really interesting, right? That somehow, I think it's been a big part of our history. Many, many examples that we could quote of Jewish religious leaders who were rejected by their own communities. You're not good enough. You're not in touch, you're not uh, sympathetic enough, or whatever the particular uh, challenges may have been. So, there's lessons. There's so many, There are so many lessons from the stories of the Jewish nation in the desert, and on their interaction with Moshe, with Moses, the original Jewish leader. Here's Ahuva, who says, God gives us only the best. I am very happy with our religious leadership. I'd love to know where Ahuva lives, because those... Those leaders need to hear this, (laughs) because I'm pretty sure that any person who is a a religious Jewish leader probably feels a certain element of inadequacy, possibly because we have a natural guilt complex in the Jewish community, and possibly because we have very high standards and high expectations, and possibly because they've been made to feel that way. So it's quite reassuring when you have somebody say, no, we've got the best, very happy with the religious leadership. That's fantastic. I hope that more people feel that way. What's interesting also about uh, leadership is that I think there are different layers of Jewish leadership, meaning even in the religious world. And let's not fudge and, and blur things. So there is your classic Jewish leader who might be the rabbi of your community. And automatically, somebody looks at the rabbi of the community and says, this it has to be an angelic figure. <laughs> I remember a story once that there was a shul looking for a rabbi. And they put out feelers And eventually a fellow came, and he came with a very nice resume that he presented, and he had a reference letter. And the reference letter said, this man, this rabbi is an angel. And it was on the basis of that that reference letter that the community took him on as their rabbi. And it couldn't have been further from the truth. He was certainly no angel. Man was a terrible leader, ill-suited to the position, and eventually the community, so exasperated, sent a message back to the original community that had given this endorsement and said, "How could you say that this rabbi is an angel?" And in classic Yiddish wit, the community responded, "Kain mensch is er," which means "A mensch he is definitely not." Now of course, it works better in Yiddish, but the implication of mensch is a noble upright. Upstanding human being, the direct translation of mensch is man. Play on words. So, what they were saying is an angel meaning not a man or not a mensch. So, the point is that, you know, there is this expectation. The minute somebody becomes the rabbi of your community, they must be infallible. Has to be. Otherwise, why would they be the rabbi? And that's just so out of the reality. I mean, that cannot be the case. You know, I I, I once saw somebody said, rabbis are people too. Which is true, right? Uh, here, Josh, another Josh, not the one who tweeted before, says, I believe that we expect our religious leaders to be free of sin or mistake. For some reason, we believe that they should be more honest than others. I believe the religious leaders have the same evil inclination and are as fallible as others, and it is unfair to expect any different of them. I think that's a reality check. Just because the person happens to... Be idealistic, idealistic enough to want to take the role of rabbi of a community. Nobody takes that role for the pay. Nobody takes that role for the peace of mind. You take that role because it's a, it's a vocation. It's, it's a passion. It's something obviously that you really, really uh, care about. So that doesn't automatically turn you into some kind of a saint, but I do think we should distinguish between Jewish religious leadership as in rabbis and then the great personalities of Jewish history, not only biblical history, but the whole of Jewish history, those who carry the very unique and coveted title tzaddik. Now, tzaddik is not a position. Tzaddik is not something where you go and interview and you get appointed to the job. Tzaddik is a spiritual standing. It's a state of being. It's a soul expressing itself in such an open way that the body can barely interfere with it. So we need to make that distinction. And so when we talk about Moses as a leader, it's very unfair for us to compare contemporary Jewish leadership, religious leadership, to the religious leadership of Moses. He's in a class of his own. And we're going to have to come back to that and and have this conversation in context of the expectations that we have from our leaders. As uh, who said here on Twitter, Chaya says on Twitter, We definitely have two high expectations. We want our leaders to be like Moses, but we put them on a shul budget. (laughs) I actually really like that, put them on a shul budget. Any person who is um, in the the business will appreciate exactly what that is, right? To expect the highest levels of uh, piety, of engagement, of wisdom, of compassion, and at the same time expect that you can keep paying them. Bobkiss. So yeah, that's that's a very interesting and appropriate point. What do you think? What do you think about Jewish leadership? Do you think that we have uh, crazy expectations that you know that uh, you know are beyond the norm or beyond what is real? Or do you think you, know, you wanted the position, take it all on? Now you're going to have to experience what it means to be a Jewish leader. For those of you who have just tuned in, this is Fresh Thinking. You are with Rabbi Shishler, and we're together till just before the top of the hour. Today, my question to you is, do you think that we have unrealistic expectations of our Jewish religious leadership? And reason for the conversation is because this is the time of the year where we read various stories of how difficult a time the Jewish community gave Moses when they were in the desert. And the question is... Do you think that we do the same today? I am making a major disclaim over here. Let's not compare contemporary Jewish leaders necessarily to Moses. Moses is on in a class of his own. Here's another one uh, with a chip on the shoulder, I guess. Somebody, uh, anonymous message. Religious leaders? Question mark. Why are they leaders? Because they have grandiose delusions of being superior to us. They seek praise, validation, honor. And unwarranted social status. Um, wow. <laughs> wow. I think that's uh, definitely somebody who must have had very negative experiences. Maybe you're one of those people. That's the greatness of text. You can be anonymous and you can say, there you go. I actually think that our leadership is failing dismally. And you can actually say it and get away with it. And that would all be good. Um Sure more of uh, the same kind of thing. He has an interesting comment. Somebody says that some people do expect too much from their leaders. They expect the leader to make every decision for them and do everything for them. Here's the thing. God gave you a brain. Use it. Okay. Okay. Um, I think that's a valid point. Definitely, definitely something to think about. Here, somebody who has a question: Can a leader be world famous and remain humble? I'm so glad you asked that question because the Torah portion that we're going to read this coming Shabbos actually speaks about criticism of Moses as a leader on on multiple fronts. By the way, and one of the things that the Torah says. In his defense is that Moses was the most humble person to ever live. I think everybody will agree that Moses qualifies as a world leader, somebody who impacted the superpower of the time, Egypt, somebody who took the Jewish people and uh, not only freed them from Egypt, but brought them to Sinai and sent them on the way to become the um, light to the world, per se. So it's it's really fascinating that a person not only can be a world leader and remain humble, that is a world leader. <laughs> a true world leader is, by definition, humble, because the moment it's all about self, the moment it becomes arrogant, it's no longer world leadership. It's personal self-aggrandizement. It's uh, it's ambition. That's what it is. It's not necessarily leadership. So in Judaism, the the emphasis on leadership is that it has to, has to, He predicated on absolute humility, so much so that we're told that Moses felt himself humble in the face of every other person, meaning to say he looked at other people and that in itself humbled him, that in itself made him feel, wow, what if? What if somebody else had been given the, the same opportunities and the same talents as I had been given? Maybe they would have done a far greater, better job. Okay, uh, interesting conversation in its own right. We're talking, <laughs> I love it when people send these messages that that, that that are so nice, but I'm too embarrassed to to share them on air. But they're so nice, and uh, thank you for the message. Really, really uh, nice little endorsements coming through over there. It's actually two of them. You know, some people are just so nice. They make you feel good, which is really appreciated. Uh, here's a very, very good point. We should make a distinction between what we expect of our Jewish religious leaders versus what the Torah expects of Jewish religious leaders. What a great point, because we could very well be off the mark, and we could have unrealistic or unfair expectations. But a great question is, What does the Torah expect of our leaders? And if you are going to be a Jewish religious leader, naturally the Torah expects certain basics. You have to be religious, and it can't just be a masquerade. Sadly, it feels that way sometimes. Sadly, you hear cases from time to time of a person in the religious leadership who behaves in a way that's inappropriate for the religious uh, religious leadership. So that should surely, surely be... Uh, misaligned from what the Torah expects of us. Or um, the fact that a religious leader is supposed to be somebody who is humble. We've just spoken about that, that Moses was the most humble person. So that's what the Torah expects. Maybe we expect, maybe we misunderstand what humility is. And so so we think that a humble leader is somebody we can push around. That's not a humble leader. Moses was no pushover. He stood up for the things that needed to be stood up for. He stood up for his principles. He stood up for Torah values. He stood up for his position within the community. So let's never mistake humility, which some people want from a Jewish leader, with weakness. Which, unfortunately, is sometimes what people mean when they say that they want humility from their Jewish leaders. So that's that's really important for us to bear in mind. Uh, there's no question that integrity is something that a Jewish leader must have. Here's the Iran who says we expect the best and have grown to anticipate the worst should be the opposite. Yeah, can you imagine? I think that's such a great insight. You know, we expect the best and then we're disappointed. If we'd expect the other way around, maybe we would grow to appreciate. Uh, here is somebody on Twitter. I don't even know how you say this name. I guess it depends what your expectations are. Sometimes my expectations have been exceeded. Other times they've fallen short. That's why we pray to God and not to them. <laughs> very good. That is very good, right? So the thing is this, that one of the things that the Torah does illustrate to us is that, of course, the leader has to do everything to be a value, a person of value, a person of principle, a person of spirituality, a person of compassion. I saw a great line once and it says that in every relationship, you are responsible for 50% of the relationship. And you have to remember that you are only responsible for 50% of the relationship, but you are 100% responsible for your 50%. In the relationship between us and our leaders, the leader is 100% responsible for the side of the relationship that ensures the, the the leader is appropriate, is a pious, honest person of integrity, person of wisdom, person of compassion. They're 100% responsible for that. I'm not. I'm not responsible to ensure that my leader is the way that he or she should be. I'm absolutely responsible for the fact that I respond to leadership appropriately, which means I choose the people I consider to be leaders well, and I respect those people in their leadership positions, even if I don't think they're doing a perfect 100% job. I think that's something that you definitely see in these Torah portions coming out again and again, is there were people who had criticisms of Moses, and they believed very strongly that their criticisms were well-founded. And yet, in every single case, that's what's fascinating about it. I don't know if we pay enough attention to this. In every single case, God defends the leader. Interesting. So, when they complain about the food, for example... God gives them the food and still defends the leader. And when they complain about not being able to access the promised land because it seems like an impossible task, God comes down heavy on them and defends the leader. You should have listened. You should have trusted. should have gone with what Moses said. Why are you second-guessing? And when they launch a rebellion against the, the leadership of Moses and Aaron under this rogue personality called Korach, God really comes to the party up at the end creates this miraculous scenario where the earth opens up and they are totally destroyed swallowed up and you think you know there you go god is endorsing his leader very interesting really is an interesting principle to to bear in mind however having said that i do go back to what i said before and i think we need to speak about this we need to distinguish between contemporary jewish religious leaders and moshe moses or his behind people who are of such a an incredible level of spirituality that they're actually in a complete class of their own what do you think i'd love to hear from you three four five one nine that's the sms line telegram works on this number oh six one eight nine five one oh one nine and i see everybody knows how to tweet so that's great keep them coming Otherwise, you can comment on the Facebook page, the Chai FM Facebook page. Do you think we expect too much of our leaders? And do you think, perhaps, that the biblical personalities or even other great Jewish personalities from our history might be put onto a pedestal that is unrealistic? Maybe that's one of the reasons why we expect too much of our leaders. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Yeah, yeah. This is Fresh Thinking, and so we're talking about leadership. Talking about Jewish leadership, and I'm asking the question about whether we exaggerate our expectations of our Jewish leadership, and could that possibly be because biblical stories about leaders seem to put them on such a vaunted platform that perhaps we think everybody else is going to be like them. There's a really interesting story in the Torah portion this week. It's the story of Moses and his sister, (laughs) So bear in mind that Miriam, the older sister of Moses, was the one who, thanks to him, sorry, thanks to her, he came into this world. Because the story was when Pharaoh came up with the decree that all the boys had to be thrown into the River Nile, the parents, that means Moses' parents, the father turned around, Amram, and he said, that's it, this is no good, we cannot have any children, and let us separate, which they did. And the rest of the community followed suit. And Miriam went crazy. She was a little girl. She was six years old. She said, how dare you do this? Who do you think you are? You think you're God. You certainly uh, are being worse than Pharaoh. Pharaoh has no guarantee that his that his uh, decrees will actually happen. You're a righteous person. Whatever you do is going to endure. You're going to cause people not to be born. It's the whole thing. Anyhow, and so they remarried. The, the parents, Amram and Yochebed. And as a direct result of that, Moses was born. And then when Moses was put into the basket in the Nile, Miriam was the one who kept an eye on him. She literally saved his life. So as the older sister and someone who had contributed so deeply to Moses, she felt that she had the right to speak. And she felt that what Moses was doing and the way he conducted his personal life was inappropriate. She felt that here was Moses's wife who was Sidelined, who was in a sense completely um, uh, ignored by her own husband, Moses was so busy with the community, so busy communing with God that he didn 't pay her the, the enough attention, and Miriam felt that this was inappropriate, and she there was no malice she, she wasn 't being critical, she didn't have an unrealistic expectation of the leader. This is like a real thing. You have a wife, you have a family. Deal with them in a decent way. And she went to speak to her brother Aaron and said, Look, we're, we're also great people and we're also prophets. And we also have these deep spiritual experiences. But we have to, we have to say something to our little brother. He's, he's not behaving appropriately. And they speak between each other. And before they even get the opportunity to address Moses and to confront him, the Torah says that God personally appears to them. And you have to read this rebuke. It is dynamite God says how were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses quite something (laughs) and he makes a whole comparison God says Moses is unlike any other prophet that you would ever be aware of he speaks to me face to face he is absolutely welcome in my home at all times implying of course that he has access to all kinds of spiritual secrets and it's such a powerful moment Sadly, it's one of these stories that gets quite overlooked. We we like the drama of the story in the next week's Torah portion about the spies that go to Israel and come back and say there's no way we'll ever conquer the land. That's an exciting, dramatic story, so people fixate on it. And we like the story of Korach and his rebellion because that's a dramatic story. The earth opens and swallows them all. People are fixated on that. This is a bit of sibling rivalry, of course, with a, a very strong-armed response from God. But... It's, it's unfortunate that people overlook the story because it's, it's very powerful. There are leaders and there are leaders. In our time, we will call our rabbis, our rabbitsons, our Rosh Hashivas, our international inspirational speakers. We'll call them our Jewish religious leaders. And we will, by nature, will have expectations of them that they're going to be people of integrity and decent human beings. And then we get disappointed. You go over after one of these massive inspirational talks. You go over to the person and they don't necessarily give you the time of day. So I can't remember who it was who said it before. Uh Josh said, They're normal people, they have the same temptations as you and I. And and that's true. And then you get leaders, capital L. Leaders of the Moses caliber. Where Moses is such an incredible leader, where Moses is on such a an elevated spiritual platform. That even his own family, and not just because they are his family, but even his own family who themselves are deeply spiritual, pious individuals, they cannot see his greatness. I remember when we went to Tanzania to climb climb Mount Meru, which is not much less of a climb than Kilimanjaro. (laughs) And I, I remember we arrived there at the base. And I looked up. You know, you want to obviously get a sense of of where you're going. (laughs) That Drakensberg and Table Mountain and, uh, you know, those kinds of things. I remember standing there looking up and looking up and up and up. And then there were clouds. (laughs) And the top of the mountain was beyond the clouds. And I just remember thinking, how can you climb to a, a destination that you cannot even see That's what happens over here with Aaron and Miriam in particular, because she's the one who instigated with Moses. You you might have climbed mountains of your own spiritually. The mountain that he sits on, the elevated pedestal of Moses, is so exponentially great, is so high, is so removed, that even his fellow tzaddikim, his fellow righteous individuals, Cannot see where he is. You know, if you had to imagine, for example, imagine you were comparing wealth and you had somebody who in their bank account right now, as it stands today, has 10,000 rand. And then there's somebody else who in their bank account, as it stands today, has a billion dollars. Now, of course, you can't compare 10,000 rand to a billion dollars. So you'd think, wow, the billionaire is. Exponentially beyond the reach of this person with ten thousand dollars. Except, a number of things could happen. Tomorrow, the particular investment that that billionaire has built their wealth on might become completely obsolete. Let's just say, for argument's sake, you were the uh, the owner of Kodak <laughs> or of uh, Nokia or you know one of these companies who at one point was at the pinnacle of the world and then psh, just suddenly lost market share. Alternatively, the guy with the ten grand might be the person who's just invested in, in Apple or uh, whatever the particular technology that's about. Maybe he's, he's gone to crypto and, and he's done really well. The point is, as distant as the two are from each other, there's always the possibility of catch-up in either direction. The 10000 rand guy can make a whole lot more money and catch up. The billion-dollar guy can lose a whole lot of money and catch up. But if theoretically, and it cannot happen with money, but if theoretically you had two people, One person had 10,000 Rand in their bank account. The other person had a billion dollars in their bank account. Now we introduce a third person. And the third person, somehow, we don't understand how the technology works, has infinite money, which means as they use money, so it's automatically replenished. Now, at that point, the guy with 10,000 and the guy with a billion are equidistant from this guy. Because to get from 10,000 to having infinite is an infinite journey. And to get from a billion to infinite is an infinite journey. And that's what happens over here with Moses. There are some leaders who are infinitely, not just exponentially, infinitely beyond us. Those are the characters that the Bible likes to talk about. Those are the people who do belong on a pedestal. Those are the people who may have had incidents in their lives that totally confound us. But let's be clear, those incidents do not look anything like what they would have looked like if you and I had been the ones to do them. And that's what's so important about the story. Yes, you could exaggerate the expectations you have of your regular Jewish leader, and you can never exaggerate enough the greatness of these ultimate leaders. It's quite something to think about. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So what can we, uh, what can we say about leaders and our expectations of them? Quite a number of comments coming through and I really do appreciate all of your comments. So maybe just quickly, uh, share a few. Here's Kerry who says, if you choose to lead, well, then you take on the responsibility. And if you don't expect to be held to a higher standard, don't lead. I think it's a very good point. At the same time, it should be a higher standard, not an impossible standard. (laughs) That's also something to consider. Um, that's not for this if he has somebody Sarah says the same thing if you sign up to be a religious leader you need to be prepared to take on the responsibility as challenging as it is okay so there you go um, here's another person Kim says no I don't think that we expect too much they give so much of themselves by choice okay don't know if that answers necessarily whether we expect too much or not but really I think the point that's very worthwhile to focus on is that there are two sides to this conversation. The one side is we have contemporary Jewish leaders. Our contemporary Jewish leaders are civil servants in a certain respect. In other words, people who have an, idea, an idealistic bent. They want to, to to give to the community. They care about the community and they do their best. But they are ordinary people with ordinary challenges like everybody else. With their good days and their bad days. Their more focused days and their more lazy days. And that's just how it is. Yet, when you talk about the great personalities, what we call a tzaddik, that's a whole different kettle of fish. A person is not a tzaddik because they have chosen to lead. A person is a tzaddik because God has implanted within them some kind of unique set of talents, like Moses. And it's really important that we don't ever fall into the trap of reading through the stories in the Torah, as we do, and looking at the personalities that are central to those stories, like a Moses, and start to make comparisons and think, oh, Moses is probably like my rabbi at my shul. Now I know that my rabbi is a great guy and has tremendous talent and still sometimes disappoints me, so Moses is probably like that too. Great guy must have been because God gave him such an incredible position. Um, you know, brings the Torah into the world, speaks to God face to face, all that kind of thing. But and here's where we make the the inappropriate step. Probably just as fallible as my rabbi. <laughs> you know, probably. Yeah, you know, he also. we got angry. He smashed a rock. He got angry. He threw down the tablets and destroyed them. That's projection, actually. And that's missing the point of what the Torah is all about. And if you don't believe me, read in this week's Torah portion how God berates Miriam for the way she spoke about her little brother. I mean, we we dare not speak about Moses as a little brother, but you get the idea. That's where she was coming from. Because it is that important for us to know that there are leaders and there are leaders. There are those leaders who do their best and there are those leaders who are so supreme, so spiritual, so powerful. That we really should hang on to their every word. And if you do start a rebellion against them, you've got to expect that God's going to really step up and protect them. Uh, here's an SMS. Somebody says, yes, we do expect too much from them, but very important, we forget that they're humans as we are. Only look to God. So, yes, exactly right. And uh, only look to God and his prophets. That's why he gives us the prophets, so that we could have this special, unique kind of connection. Okay, so food for thought over there. I certainly hope you go and you'll have a look at the Torah portion this week and you'll mull a little bit over the conversation, uh, you know, the the conversation around um, why Moses is protected so strongly by God and what lessons we could learn from that. It's been great. Some really, really nice impa- uh, input from all of you, which I always appreciate. And go ahead, have yourself a great Shabbos. Stay safe. Stay sane, please God will pick up next week.